Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Some of the guests we bring onto this show are people that I had on a list for a long time that I knew I wanted to talk to, that I knew I wanted to hear their story, I knew I wanted to share their story with yours, and, with, sorry, with you, there we go, English, and then other people that come on the show, sometimes the week begins, and my assistant says to me, who are you interviewing this week? And I say back, I have no idea, I assume something will come together. And because we live in an age of just a constant barragement of content, usually I read something or see something that catches my attention and seems interview-worthy. And that very thing happened this week, and it's super timely, and I'm super excited to speak to this man. Um, I believe this is the first Hasidic Jew to appear on Chopped. His name is Rabbi Hanoch uh, Hecht. Uh, he is the Shaliach in Rhinebeck, New York. Um, and he was great. He accommodated us in our schedule and, you know, uh, to call in pretty quickly because I believe the show is airing next week. So, Rabbi Hecht, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Uh, let me begin by saying that, I, although not on a weekly basis, I do listen to your show. And up here in Rhinebeck, we're lucky enough that we can catch... Uh, Nachum Siegel on the actual radio. Not, we don't only need the uh, Nachum Siegel app to get some of the, the morning 6 to uh, 9 show in the morning. So myself, as well as my kids in the car every morning, we get to listen to uh, the station, and I listen to uh, the app as, from the app as well online. So it's a great honor and pleasure for me to be on your show. Oh, that's very cool. So I never know, like, if I write to someone, if they've heard of me or heard of what I do. But okay, so you are already a listener, so that so you know what you were getting yourself into already. Uh, so I guess, I, I guess so. Is, so anything from here on forward, I could take. Uh, I guess it's 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 uh, with my own risk because I know what I'm getting myself into. Exactly. So okay, so we told everyone that you're going to be on shop. We told everyone that you are a Hasidic Chabad rabbi. So let's try to fill in the, the pieces in between. So if you could tell our listeners, where did you grow up? What was your Jewish background like growing up? Well, I have the great distinct and honor and pleasure of being from one of the largest rabbinical families today, the Hecht family. Uh, my father, growing up, I was a sixth-generation Brooklynite, and I grew up in Brooklyn. And the uh, grew up in a rabbinical home and. The rest is history. I, I uh, made myself through uh, the yeshiva system, both in the Chabad world as well as, as well as outside the Chabad world. And at some point along my childhood, I came into the love for cooking and the love for food. And therefore, I try on a weekly or daily basis to incorporate it to my mission of spreading Judaism. And one of that aspect is the concept of keeping kosher. So anything I can do to promote keeping kosher. Uh, I do that... Uh, with great passion and great excitement. When I had the honor and pleasure in 2005 of moving up to Dutchess County, New York, to represent Chabad, I uh, was, we were looking at the colleges in the area, and we saw that there was a college called CIA. And not the CIA in Washington, but the CIA was the Culinary Institute of America. And there were a few Jewish students there, and we reached out to them. We started doing programming for them. And from there, it led one thing led to the next that I was invited as a guest lecturer to different classes and different chefs to talk about kosher and what it is keeping kosher and the potential of a chef, a future chef or baker, keeping kosher. And being that I already had a passion for food and uh, for uh, 
gardening and things in the in the food world. It gave me great excitement and pleasure to be involved. And thank God it's been close to 10 years now that I go to different chef's classes and the way it works in CIA, that the typical classroom is actually a kitchen, and you're in that kitchen for about three weeks. So they'll study three weeks, they'll study the cooking of the Asias, and then three weeks they'll study the Middle Eastern cuisine, and then they'll go from class to class. If they're in the baking department, they'll and then three weeks on breads and going through the different types of foods. So one of the classes they go to, for example, is three weeks on experimental baking, the gluten-free and all the dietary restrictions. So Chef Coppage and I built a relationship, and I go once every three weeks for about 45 minutes to an hour and discuss the backgrounds of kosher, the rabbinical aspect, the biblical aspect, and how that pertains to a chef. What is a, what is a kosher certification? What are the laws? What are the guidelines? The concept of kosher Yes, there's kosher ingredients, but there's also preparation of kosher. And kosher has uh, many, many laws guide, and guidances that go just far beyond just the ingredients that are included in the actual dish. So you grew up, as you said, in a rabbinic family. You know, as someone who grew up non-observant, I had some very strong misconceptions about the Orthodox community, as, you know, what Jew in the City is based on is our mission to debunk the misconceptions. I would never have thought that an Orthodox man, an Orthodox rabbi, a Hasidic man would be into cooking. That seems like that would be something relegated for the woman, you know, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. So how was that? Was it unusual for you when you got into cooking to get into that? Was that something that you see other, you know, guys your age or men were into? Can you tell us a little bit about, like, what that journey was? It you just like to eat and you figured if you like food, then if you can make it for yourself? Well, I do come from a, it's a very, very interesting concept that you bring up. It is true that the image out there is that the Orthodox woman never gets out of the kitchen and gets out of the home. For me, she goes from uh, making dinner to making Shabbat to uh, diapering babies. And that's the image that's out there and how untrue it is. I grew up in a home that my father cooked from time to time. My mother was the main uh, cook and typical dinner and Shabbat was made by my mother, but my father did go into the kitchen from time to time. And I grew up with that as a reality. And even more so today that we live in the 21st century, today men are taking on many different roles. And one of those roles is helping around the house. And helping around the house, it doesn't mean only on Sunday morning taking your kid to the park and pushing your kid on the swing. But there's other roles in the house as well. And I every Shabbat or I don't cook on a daily basis, but every Shabbat or every Chag or every holiday, I participate, and we'll, my wife will make a menu, and I'll pick a dish or two to make, and she'll pick a dish or two to make. She doesn't let me do all the cooking because my cooking is typically very spicy. Uh, so, so not everybody appreciates it. But I do participate, and, and A, I enjoy it for myself. I think it's a little therapeutic to get in the kitchen and, and cook a little bit. But above that, I am happy to participate for the hog in the I guess, a, a untraditional way. And I'm also helping out my wife, and I'd like to think that I'm helping out the family and, and creating a more peaceful home uh, with being in the kitchen. So although this image of the woman just sitting and slaving in the kitchen, I don't think it's true in many homes, and it's certainly not true in our home. What I love about this, um, and I'm just like smiling as you're talking, so I, thank God I come from a very loving home and, you know, my parents, you know, have been married now for over 40 years, 
But my father was a little bit of, you know, I don't know. He kind of saw the traditional way that things went in his home, very secular. And he, you know, went out and earned the money. And my mother took care of all the domestic things and all the cooking. And, you know, my father's joke is that he knows how to make uh, cereal. And so thank God my whole family became observant after me. And actually, since my father has become more observant, since he became a from Jew, he's actually become more sensitive to helping out my mother and, you know, being more involved in the stuff around the house because he sees it as, you know, being a good person, you know, doing a mitzvah, that sort of a thing, as opposed to, you know, he really kind of had a little bit this old-fashioned mindset. And, you know, another funny thing I like to mention, my husband actually grew up Chabad, um, and he grew up with a mother that works, and he grew up imagining that he was going to marry this woman who had, like, you know, this big, important job. And as a secular Jew, I grew up with my mother staying home. My father didn't want her to work, and I figured I would just marry someone who had a great job. Um, and then we, we connected, and, you know, but it's interesting how, you know, different people from different places can have these experiences that are very different than the, what the stereotype might, might tell us. So, so tell us so you are... I, I could I could not agree more that uh, many people think if in the orthodox world it's the woman that slaves and the husband never helps and in the secular world the women are liberated and how they take care better care of the women and how how this is a true myth that yeah. to really it be Depends from home to home, but in the Orthodox community, in general rule, we put the women on a, better, a greater pedestal, and I think this is true in the Hasidic community as well. And yes, it means spiritually speaking, but physically also. And I think in the Hasidic community and the Orthodox community, for a husband to get up on a Friday night and clean the dishes from the table is very common and custom. I, I, I saw it growing up. Yeah. I, uh, it happens in my home, and I see it in many other homes I go to. It's, it's quite the norm for the husband to get up and participate and help out. And every, some, some husbands don't know how to cook, and therefore their helping is not necessarily in the kitchen. But definitely around the house, I think, especially today, more and more uh, men is, in, in America in, in, in overall, but in the Hasidic community and the Orthodox community as, as in specific, that they, there are people helping and doing their part uh, to create a uh, home, a more peaceful home, a more successful home, and a uh, happier and and a true, what they call, true shalom bayit. Well, one of my first Shabbos meals, when I was first starting my journey, I noticed that the rabbi of the home was up there clearing dishes, bringing dishes out, and I did not ever see that in my secular home growing up. Like I said, my father is a wonderful father and a wonderful husband, but that wasn't part of the example that he was given in his old-fashioned secular home. And so that really, for oh, me, sure. that was proof, was proof was in the pudding. I'm sure your mother um, said she cooked for the first 40 years, and now your father can cook for the next 40 years. Exactly. She said she wants to come back in, into his life, and he can come back in the next, the next life in her life. Um, so, okay, so you're helpful around the house. You're cooking. Um, you enjoy it. And you're visiting this other CIA and teaching about kashras and stuff. And are you a fan of the Food Network? Are you watching cooking shows also on the side as like something sort of entertainment or you just heard of chat so or how did this part happen? It, it's a great question. The answer is I don't have a television and I don't watch the Food Network and I'm not really uh, on my computer so much. So therefore I don't really watch cooking shows. 
if I was on the television, I'm sure that I would, Food Network would be one of my more popular stations to watch rather than a ball game because I don't follow sports. So I would quicker watch uh, the Chop than I would a Yankees game or a Mets game. Uh, but nevertheless, I know of many of the shows that exist because I simply talk to students at CIA and chefs at CIA, so I know a lot of the different shows, even though I haven't watched it. And the funny thing is Chopped, which I've, I've come to learn is the most popular show on the Food Network hmm. uh, with multiple million viewers per episode. Actually, I never watched before I was interviewed by them. And then I went, I ran on the computer and I downloaded, uh, you know, three or four episodes to watch what I was getting myself in, into before, you know, I said yes really quickly. And then I'm thinking, hey, I may have regretted this. What am I getting myself into? So I ran one night and watched like three episodes. So I made myself uh, familiar with the show and, and the details of the show. But actually preparing for the episode itself, when I got there and the other contestants said that they went online to read different foods that all the judges liked and, so to speak, catered to the judges. I was like, whoa, I, I didn't even think of that. So, obviously, you know, to some extent, the people that follow it, follow it to a level that I don't think, even if I did own a television, and even if I did watch the show on a weekly basis, I don't think that I would go to that extreme. Well, so let's back up first because you're already you've already got us to the point where you're going and, and trying out or you're filming it. So, Back us up to how did you even get connected with this show to appear there? What was that journey like? So there was somebody that I know uh, actually works for CIA that interviewed for one of the shows. And they went and they called me up and said, hey, they, they're looking for clergy members. Would you be interested? Hmm. So I said, sure. So he went and nominated me. And... I didn't hear anything, and I didn't make two, two, uh, two cents of it. How long ago was that? About, oh, this is a long time ago. Okay. At least two years ago. Oh, wow. And then about a, a winter, probably a, a January or February, uh, I got con contacted. So this is probably January, February of 2015. Mm -hmm. And I get an email, would you like to come and interview to potentially be on the show? So I went down to the city. It was about a two-hour interview in a little tiny room. I don't remember where the building was. It's a little tiny room. It was basically with two interns that interview people for two hours, make a, a one-minute or two-minute clip, and they pitch contestants to the actual show. So they pitch contestants, and they said, well, if you make it, we'll contact you in June. Mm -hmm. June came and went. I didn't hear from them, so I assumed I didn't make the cut. I thought that I, uh, my story was an exciting story, but obviously they didn't. And uh, time went on, and then about August, I get an email that says, you know, for some reason, we never made the show. We'd still like to make the show. Are you still interested? So I wrote them back, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm very happy to participate in the uh, show. And I don't hear from the, them. Was the interview just about you talking, or did they want to see if you had any chops in the kitchen? No, it was uh, just yeah. an interview, me talking. They, they they just wanted to know a little bit of ba background of myself. They also wanted to know that the person is capable of competing. So do you know food? And besides knowing the basics of food, do you know how to bake? Do you know how to cook? Do you know the difference between meat and fish? And so they were really, it was an interview. For, they wanted to know about the person, but they also wanted to know that the person is capable of the challenge. And I thought I did an okay job, and I discussed the concept that in Judaism, 
for every holiday there's a special food, and sometimes that holiday food is baking, right? You take Purim, for example, you're baking hamantashen. And if you're, you're coming off Shavuos, if it's Shavuos, it's uh, you know, making blintzes. Blintzes has a combination of, of, of the elements of baking when it comes to making the batter for the blintz, for the crepe part, but um, it's also the concept of cooking. So I said that I feel that from my background, even though I've not necessarily made every single dish in within the Jewish calendar, many of them carry both cooking with it as well as baking, and therefore I felt that I was very rounded as, in, as a contestant. Mm-hmm. So you hear from them in August that you have made the cut? No, they didn't. They never told me. In August, they said, are you still interested in doing it? So okay. I said, yes. And I never heard back from them. Okay. So okay. I waited, I waited, I waited. And then in, like, November time, I got contacted by somebody. Actually, it's interesting that the girl who contacted me, her parents are congregants of mine up here in Rhinebeck. And she said, "And she said, I'm supposed to come up and do a uh, bio on you. I, you know, I'm um, I'm a freelance, uh, uh, f- f- I guess, uh, f- photographer and, and director, and also uh, for film and, and director. And she said, you know, I'd like to come up and do a bio. I said, you come up and do a bio. They haven't even told me that the show is happening. It's the show happening. She said, I have no idea, but they told me to do a bio. I get paid for a bio. I don't really care if the show is happening. So I said, okay, you can come and do a bio, but as far as I know, I don't know that I'm competing yet. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even tell anybody, and I didn't even tell my wife, because I figured, what's the point of exciting everybody, and then not happening? Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell anybody, then I got an email, is your calendar date, I don't know the exact date, uh, available for filming? So I wrote them back, yes. And then I didn't hear, and then I wrote back, you know, can you please confirm that the show is happening before I block out a day of my calendar? And um, they basically said that they didn't respond to my email. And then I get an email, okay, we'll see you in a week. <laughs> I never got official confirmation, like, accepted as a contestant. So the whole, the whole way uh, along the road, I always took it with a grain of salt that it may never happen. So I never got too excited about it until that it was last week, and I said, oh, my God, I better really start mentally preparing for the challenge. So when did you go to get... You filmed this already, correct? Yeah, it was filmed in, uh, a few months ago, yeah. Got it, got it. Okay. So film. So when did the filming... The filming took place over the winter, or...? The filming took place in the winter, and they just about a week and a half ago gave me the date of the... of, the, of when it will be shown on television. And when, when is, is it on television? Which is a week from today, which is, uh, which is going to be June 21st, Tuesday, June 21st. At 10 p.m. is the first uh, showing, and then there's going to be a few other showings afterwards. Within the first week, they showed us the same show a few times over. And is this show available online or only on TV? I don't know. Is if I, I would assume it's the same. It's it's true about every other show. Some right. I, when I went online originally, not every Soda Food Network episode is available on their website, but they have a few of them available. So hopefully, at some point, it becomes available on their website. Got it. So what is the sort of idea behind the show? It's a cooking show about clergy. Can you share with us anything about, like, why they wanted clergy to come together and cook? Well, they have a big series for their amateur series, mm-hmm. and they do firemen and policemen, and, and at some point they had the idea for clergy, so they made a show called Leap of Faith. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I met the other contestants. One was a uh, girl becoming a nun. 
Hmm. One was a minister, and one was a pastor, and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met early in the morning, the day of competition. Uh, we mm-hmm. spent some, a few minutes together getting re- everybody got ready. Um, some of the other contestants, you're, allowed to, you're, you're not allowed to come with any utensils except your own knives. Some of the other contestants came with their own knives. I did not uh, um, mm-hmm. come with my own knives. And they basically were all members of different religions, and it was, a, for me, a great opportunity to spend time in discussing the concept of food, both from the perspective of law, as Jewish law, and, and the elements of their religion and approach to food, as well as the more mystical elements of food within their religion. And mm. food, on a certain level, is, is a common denominator that we have, we share with all people eat food. Sure. And in fact, that's what uh, food itself is one of the categories that uh, distinguishes man versus beast, or man versus other uh, categories that we have inanimate and uh, vegetative con- and vegetative uh, kingdoms. Food is the way we prepare food. The human being is very, very different than all other species in the world. Animals and per se. And we make shows about uh, they, it. They, yeah, they and but they also eat. They never prepare human beings. We prepare all our food. We cook our food. We transform it. Whereas in in the wild, it's just eaten as at the state that it's in, and which is really a kabbalistic concept of taking when we eat food, it's really taking and elevating it. And in order for one to elevate it, they really have to go ahead and prepare, both spiritually speaking, but physically speaking also. One has to prepare the food in order for it to be ready to be consumed. You know, someone eats raw chicken, they get sick. God forbid. Right, right. So. Spiritually speaking, if one's going to eat chicken, they have to prepare themselves that they're going to eat uh, a bird that car- that had life in it. And how do I elevate the food and, and use the energy that I have properly to uh, make sure that all, all of the sparks within the food is elevated? And, and physically also, before we go ahead and, and, and we, we cook the ch- chicken, we have to do all the preparations associated with that as well. So just and having those discussions... Did, was there? Is there any Sorry? show that did? Did they film you guys having these conversations about food and spirituality, or that was just amongst yourselves off camera? The answer is everything you do is on camera. What was gotcha. edited in or edited out? I don't know. Got it. I see. Okay, but I'm saying this: you, you were having these conversations um, as a possibility Absolutely. of ending up. That's really interesting to you know because I think. I mean, our society is so big into food and eating and all these videos now that pop up online, you know, like I, I think about how our just our generation just gets more and more impatient that we used to watch like, you know, a big fancy dish being made in a half hour. And that was like the quick version of it because you put it into your magical oven and pop, you know, the chicken's cooked or pop the bread, you know, has risen and then, you know. That sort of thing. But now we're down to 60-second videos. No one even has the patience to watch a half hour show. We want to get the whole thing in 60 seconds. And um, I, I think that we're sort of so impatient for sort of the payoff of, you know, that physicality of the food. And yet there's something about food that requires you to wait and that you can't just have the instant gratification. Oh, yeah. oh, Obviously, yeah. if you, you go to a fast food restaurant, you can. But there, there is that, you know, sort of waiting time, which I think is lacking for so, for so much of our generation. And I don't know. Any, any thoughts about that? I think you're absolutely correct. To use an example, uh, the Daily Mail asked me if I want to do a uh, Hasidic tale and a recipe uh, for them this upcoming Friday. Hmm. So I said yes, but the whole concept was 
that your recipe has to be in done in a few minutes. So we do live in a world that everything has to be quicker and everything has to be happen instantaneously, right? I mean, the concept of, of uh, Internet is never fast enough. It always has to be quicker. So that perspective is a, is a huge element. On the other side, we find a huge movement of people being more conscious about the food. You have the non-GMO movement. You have the farm-to-table movement. I live in the Hudson Valley, and how many farms there are over here? The farm-to-table movement is a very, very big movement, and making sure that your, some of your produce, the animals raised, is local and being cared for properly. So it's true on one side we find maybe the fastness of the world making it less uh, focused on the concept of food and where it comes from. But on the flip side, we do have a greater level of consciousness about the preparation of food, where the ingredients come from, which is a tremendous thing. I mean, even when you go and buy your coffee, many coffees are certified where it came from and making sure it comes from the proper farms and, and they're treating the environment properly. And I think these are all very important factors, and I think they're godly factors and, and, and Jewish factors. And when we put food in our mouth, it's not just a gluttonous way of filling ourselves up and having enjoyment. Jewish people, when they eat, before they eat, they have to make sure that they're in the proper sanctity. We don't eat whenever we want. There's certain times you're allowed to eat, certain times you're not allowed to eat. We make blessings on our food. We wash our hands properly, making sure it's in the level, proper level of holy and, and you know, purity. So, therefore, these are Jewish concepts. I'm going to sit down and have a, and have a, uh, have a meal. It's a wonderful thing, but you have to make sure that you're doing that meal in a godly way. And... The whole inspiration for me of this entire television show is really just some form of platform to bring awareness about kosher and bring awareness about Judaism's approach to food in general and the Kabbalistic approach to... It segues into my final question. We've got about a minute and a half to wrap things up. If you could, I hope you can sum it up so quickly. How did you handle kosher on the show? You did not bring your own knives, so how did you handle the kosher cooking ingredients? So I'm not allowed to answer the specific questions because the show didn't air yet. But generally speaking, all I can say is that I upheld the highest levels of standards of kashrut. I uh, went in telling uh, the show, and they were very sensitive, that I'm not going to compromise of the laws of kashrut just because it's exciting to be on a television show. For me, the laws of kashrut comes first. They understood that. They were very sensitive to it. But further details of what I did cook and what I didn't cook and how it was prepared and what was done properly, I'm not allowed to share at this time. Ask me in eight days, and I'll give you all the information. Okay, yeah, so tell us how to tune in, because that's actually a perfect segue into plugging it one last time. So if 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 one has a television, they turn on to the Food Network Tuesday, June 21st at 10 p.m., and it's the first showing of the first episode that a rabbi ever competed on shot. And I'm very excited that I was chosen to. It was a very special opportunity for me. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. It is our great pleasure. And if you have any clips, like online clips, that you're able to get um, that you know are going around, if the whole show does not make it up online, please uh, send that over to us, and we'll be happy to put it out on our social media platforms as well. Uh, we wish you uh, much haslaka, much Thank you very much, and a safe summer to you and all your listeners. Thank you so much, and uh, you can catch us same time, same place next week.